I'm going to dive into the continuation of this series on the fear of the Lord, how the fear of God gets the ear of God, and those who fear God hear God. But there's another side of the coin of those that don't fear God and not hearing God. And there's another side of the coin where, you know, we talk about the fear of God and the love of God being synonymous, but the fear of God has to move us to action to do something. Um, there's no DMZ in the kingdom of God. There's no demilitarized zone. You can't live neutral. And the fear of God propels us and, and moves us to action to stand up and fight. See, if you're not fighting against sin, you've already been captured by it. You say, well, I don't, I'm not actively practicing sin, but you're being passive towards it. And you can't be passive towards the culture of sin. The world system is a culture designed to lead you away from God, which is why the Lord says we have to have a hatred towards, in a sense, the world system, not towards people in the world, but the system of this age that wants to corrupt and capture the hearts and minds of our children, our families, God's people, and those that don't know the Lord. So if you aren't fighting, you've already been captured. And this church is not a DMZ church. This is a church that understands that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force, which means we can't be passive. We have to be aggressive. And that aggressive always has to, aggressiveness always has to work with the foundation of perfect love. If I'm fighting for any other reason outside of the, the heart of the father and perfect love, I will fight inaccurately. Okay, the wrath of man doesn't produce righteousness. The wrath of man does not produce righteousness, but the wrath of God does because the wrath of man takes matters into your own hands. The wrath of God is this understanding that really there's three things that cause us to flee away from sin. First, it's the delight and the pleasure and the beauty and the love of God. The next thing is the understanding of the wrath to come. And then the next thing is to understand that the result of what it can produce in our lives now. And we don't want that, those results of what happens in living a sinful lifestyle. It's nothing but destruction and death. Nothing. And I don't want you all to live in sinful lifestyles. And no, it's not okay. Does love cover a multitude of sins? Yes. Is there forgiveness, grace, and mercy? Yes. That's the very, that's what saved me. But if we don't talk about the other side of the coin, we, it'll be nothing but love. But the truth is, is in God's love, there's discipline. And, the, and in God's love, there has to be a justice of, of punishment. And the challenge is, is we don't like punishment. And people don't like to talk about hell. It's like, oh, hell. So the, the church, only a very small percentage of people in the church even believe there might be a hell today because God's all loving and hence there's no consequence. And it's just hell on earth. There's no hell for eternity. And I don't believe that. Now, I don't beat that into you. I don't preach that a lot. But it's a truth and a reality that has to be talked about because it's the ultimate picture of perfect love. That's what people don't see. Think about Eden. Eden was created for us. You know what Eden means? It means pleasure. God created a place of pleasure for all of us. And the world system is a false imitation of Eden. 
Think about it. The world is doing all it can to recreate pleasure. It's nothing but pleasure and entertainment and materialism and results. And look at, look at so many of the celebrity singers, Beyonce and Katy Perry and so many others. I know some stepping on some of your toes, but your toes need to be stepped on. Because I'm not going to be okay as long as my children are in my house listening to that music. Because the subtleties of it leading my children astray is so subtle. So I have to aggressively teach them why those things aren't okay now. So the world system is always out to create an illusion or a false imitation of Eden. All of us desire pleasure, which in so many ways is the big fight. We all want pleasure at the end of the day. This is the fight, is that we all want pleasure. Yet sin only brings pleasure for a short time and ultimately leads to death. It never lasts, and it always kills. Sin never lasts, and it always kills. For me, when I was in the world and didn't know better, I would party, go to reggae clubs, play in reggae bands, drink margaritas all night long, get high, chasing bands. You guys know so much of my story. Stay up till four or five o'clock in the morning. I'd shut down bars at five o'clock in the morning on South Beach. And I'd wake up at 11 or 12 the next day or that same day. And I'd have a void, a hole. I'd stare up at the ceiling feeling so empty inside which is why the cyclical pattern kept happening. I kept chasing and running back to it because I had a void on the inside. Listen, sin and the pleasure of sin never lasts and it always kills and it will always leave you empty and void. This is why we have to go back to Eden. There's a way back to Eden. There's a way back. Everybody say there's a way back. A way back. There is a way back. And that way back is coming to back to the tree of life. You have access to the tree of life through Jesus Christ. He is the tree of life. So when you accept Jesus, you can now eat from a tree that produces real pleasure and delight in life. But we have to stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which always leads to death. Why? Because of pride. We've hit this pride thing in the fear of the Lord heavily. Pride will always go before destruction, but humility always comes before honor. And so we have to stop eating from the tree of death, which is intellectual pride. You cannot do it in your own way. You must be totally dependent. You must forsake all to be a disciple. You must lay your life down and die now. You must deny yourself. Every day is a day of denial. Because the world's constantly presenting itself. It's everywhere. Which means, we, which means we have to get more aggressive and listen. Some people, it blows my mind how people think signs and wonders and miracles can stop or that they stopped and they're not for today. Let me ask you a question. Did sin, sickness, and disease stop? Then why would miracles stop? Because miracles, they don't just prove the existence of God. They demonstrate that God has a better answer every single time. As true Christians... We drink from the rivers of his pleasure. Once you taste it, sin no longer tastes the same or has the same effect. You have to taste something better. Sin is a seduction into pleasure. Envy and jealousy is all based on pleasure. Think about envy and jealousy for a moment. 
This is envy and jealousy is so demonically deceptive because it rejoices in seeing the pain and the suffering and the loss of your enemies. We actually, when you have envy and jealousy in your heart, you actually rejoice when you see your enemies suffer. Namely, because my enemies have something that I don't have or something that I want. And when they lose it, either our anger and hatred is appeased or we feel better about ourselves now that they have lost because I don't have, now they don't have. It's so subtly demonic and deceptive. It's complete deception and evil and God hates it. And this is why we have to have a proper fear of the Lord and a hatred towards evil and its deception. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate, says the Lord. So we have to have a hatred for evil, but only the fear of the Lord is, a proper fear of the Lord, it's the only thing that can produce a hatred for evil because your flesh thoroughly enjoys the momentary pleasures of sin. So there has to be something bigger. You can't just will yourself to hate it because your flesh always wants it, which is why the Bible says when you sow to the spirit, you reap from the spirit. So the more you sow to the things of God and drink from his pleasures and his delight, the more you experience it and it gives you strength to overcome the momentary pleasures of sin that your flesh wants. But when you sow to the soul, you reap from the soul. When you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. And so that's why we have to have this complete hatred for evil. And that only comes from a proper understanding of total dependence, total trust, and total submission to God and to understand the fear of the Lord. Only the fear of the Lord can produce that. The sign of truly fearing God is hating evil. And you just have to own it. So I don't fear God enough. I don't believe as I stand here today, I fear God enough. Because I need a greater hatred towards evil. I'll own it. Do I hate sin? Yes. Should I hate it more? Yes. And you know, the number one definer of hating evil is when you're moved to action to fight against it because you fear God. Because I fear God, I can't be silent. Because I fear God, I can't be passive. Because I fear God, I must be offensive. The kingdom of God is not a defensive strategy. It's always offensive against the gates of hell. The gates of hell cannot prevail or withstand the onslaught of us coming against it. So here are the signs of not fearing God. Their pride, just keep the scripture up, pride, arrogance, evil way, and a perverse mouth. And we talked about that last week. One of the best ways of teaching somebody the fear of the Lord is to teach them to zip the lip, but then to deal with the heart issues on the inside that are causing you to want to think and say those things that maybe you don't say. But let's at least start with you stopping saying it or typing it or listening to it. You guys all right? Listen, 
teaching on the fear of the Lord is a weighty topic. This is a heavy topic. And if you have been to Rock City Church for any period of time, you know my heart is the love, the care, the passion, the beauty, the wonder of God. But if we don't deal with the other side, then we're not being a real remnant church because a remnant church means a few people that do not compromise and sell themselves out to the things and the ways of this world. So these things, a pride, arrogance, evil way, they all point to a person who rejects God and chooses the evil way. All right? So for those people that choose the evil way and continue to live in obstinate stubbornness, we're going to tackle a block of scriptures that's pretty heavy. So I'm going to break it down for you, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Now, let me, let me preface this scripture with this. The reference here is not to an occasional act of sin. Okay? This is not to an occasional act of sin, which can be confessed and forgiven. But to a conscious rejection of God, which is what I call apostasy. And the Bible calls apostasy. Okay? So you have to understand the scripture because there are people and times and even I at times can make decisions to, to be obstinate or do something contrary to God's design. Things I might say to my wife, the way I may respond to somebody, a belief system in my heart. There can be all kinds of little foxes that try to spoil the vine, all right? Now, I've grown so much. I'm not the man that I once was. I don't make the decisions that I once did. And I wish so much I could tell you I was perfect and never sinned. I believe God wants you to never sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. Everybody say, I have an advocate. advocate. So the understanding of this word willfully is to consciously make the choice to reject God's will and God's design. It's, It's this complete forsaking and abandonment. And what's interesting about this block of scripture is it's talking to people that have received the knowledge and the understanding. And it will end with the fact that the Lord will judge his people. Because judgment starts here with you and me. The first place God is going to clean house is in your house. And my house. So I'm not preaching anything to you that I'm not completely immersed myself in, or I wouldn't have ownership in this message. If you don't get ownership of the fear of the Lord, you'll never have a proper understanding to hate evil and to rescue people out. So I can't tackle the scripture in Jude yet about some saved with compassion, making a distinction, and some saved with the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about next week is is the action call. We'll finish this series next week with the action call. All right, let's look at scripture, Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. I'm gonna teach you on this. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Specifically, that verse is talking about idolatry, by the way. Verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the blood of covenant by which he was was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. 
For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So let's start out first by after we've received the knowledge of truth. You can hear this message and come here every week and week out and still not know or understand it. You can hear it, you can know it and understand it and make the choice to reject it. You can hear it and still hide in the midst of it. I'm sure that there are lots of people in this church that hide. I already know that. Love, but love covers a multitude of sin. We're patient. We love you. We care. Keep coming back. Keep, I tell you every week, don't stop coming. You'll get it. Stay the course. We love you. We care about you. But that doesn't make it okay. And my thing is, is I want to help you out of your destructive lifestyle because I love you and I care about you and I want what's best for you. If the father knows best and we're mothers and fathers and we have his heart, then God can show us what's best. Remember, fathers and mothers are restrainers. And, and we're in a day and age where people just don't want to be restrained. Listen, it's, a sin, it's in the sin carnal nature. My son doesn't like restraint. Kids don't like restraint. But you must restrain them or they'll kill themselves. God wants to reveal things to you so he can heal those things inside your life. But what happens when God reveals things and you reject that healing? What happens when he reveals something to you and you choose, make a choice to reject that healing? When we get the revelation and continue to be defiant, we become an adversary against God and against and him against us. So he literally says that he becomes an adversary because we are adversarial against him. And that's hard for people to understand that God actually can become our adversary when we choose to stay defiant. Look, it has nothing to do with God loving you and desiring you. Zero. He loves you. He desires you. He wants you. And he'll never give up on you. How about that? But the more defiant and resistant, the more that you begin to hear and understand the knowledge of the truth and you reject it, literally he'll set his face against you. And in turn, we'll find ourselves sold into slavery. Because what happens? The good news is God buys you back every time. But the problem is I don't, how bad can the destruction get before you get bought out? How much of a train wreck has to happen before you finally get bought out. I'd rather you get rescued now and stay rescued than rescued back, rescued back. And each time we go back, it's more destructive and more destructive. And it, sin always, always has a cost to it. And we're not even just talking about, we're not just talking about mistakes or sin or even at moments and times of weakness. We're talking about a constant, continuous defiance some of you know you should never date somebody that doesn't know Jesus and isn't spirit-filled, and you keep doing it over and over and over again. You keep yoking yourself up to somebody unequally. You know how many people have got angry at, at us in this house because they yoke up or they hook up and they don't receive the correction or the restraint, and they get mad and they leave? It breaks my heart every time. Because people often are going to do what they want to do, and they don't want restraint. If you, we need restraint, folks. I need restraint. Do you want an unrestrained pastor? Nobody's out to control you. We don't got time for that. There's a lot. We all got lives. <laughs> <sighs> Preach. 
So <coughs> what happens when we become adversarial against the Lord is that we treat, the, here's why, we treat the blood of Jesus as an ordinary thing, common. <coughs> we actually say the blood of Jesus is no different than my blood. <laughs> my blood's got all kinds of sin history and failures and stuff in it. He never sinned. His blood was perfect. And only the perfect spotless blood from a perfect spotless lamb could redeem all of mankind. He was the only one ever. So what happens is in our defiance, we treat the blood of Jesus as common. It's just another turtle dove. It's just another lamb. It's just another bull. And you know what happens with bulls and turtle doves and lambs? You have to keep sacrificing them. And this is the understanding of there remains no more sacrifice because in that obstinate rejection, there's no other way out. The, here's a funny thing. I tell y'all over and over and over again, you're never stuck. There's always a way out. Come to Jesus. You're never actually stuck. But in this scripture, you become stuck because you're stubborn. Now, I'm probably not talking to most of this church, but if I don't teach this, you won't be able to help others or understand what I'm going to teach you next week is the fact that there has to be this understanding of some saved with fear. And the truth is, is once you become stuck and treat the blood of Jesus common, you literally insult the spirit of grace, you slander grace, and now what happens is God becomes an enemy. And what comes to the enemies of God? A fiery indignation and a fearful way of life. A fiery indignation and a fearful way of life. It's apostasy. It's to abandon and renounce your faith. And listen, no one, no one, no one abandons their faith and doesn't somehow influence somebody else to do the same. You can't just abandon your faith and be silent. Mark my words. Everyone's surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You go live on an island by yourself, maybe. It's consistent insubordination that leads to fearful expectation of judgment versus now you've got to see the contrast. You can live with the fearful expectation of judgment or you can live with the beautiful saving work of the cross. There's two ways to live. The beautiful saving work of the cross causes me to keep the cross present in every area of my life, which always leads to repentance. A proper fear of the Lord leads to repentance because the cross is always present. So even when you do sin, I know I have an advocate, but it doesn't give me the license and to keep continuing to do it. And it's not even the struggle of process because I'm patient. You all have heard my story. We're past, I don't even need to get, give a disqualifier on that. I bombed it a thousand times as a Christian, but my heart was right. It's a heart issue. Right. Some of you are like, man, you bomb it, repent, repent. But what happens is, is that some of you aren't in that spot. You're just coming to Christ for the benefits, but you don't want to pay the price of the policy. Whoa. We all want the benefit, but ain't nobody wanting to pay. Consistent insubordination and rejection of truth leads to a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation that devours us. It's in the Bible, period. You can't take it out. 
That's why I've been trying to tell you all. The law defines sin. You don't define it. The law defines it. Jesus covers us. And actually the law in itself was good, but sin used the opportunity. Read Romans 7. Sin used the opportunity of the commandment to actually devour you. It was the knowledge of it. Now you have the knowledge of a saving grace in the blood of Jesus. But you don't get that knowledge just to keep it to yourself. It's fearful because there actually is no other way. Here's the fear. I have no way out. After you've come to the knowledge and you become a, you reject, I'm talking about reject, which again, I'm going to tell you, it's not most all of you here, but it might be some of you or somebody that you know, and you're going to know somebody that rejects it and stays hard headed, or they want the nice little lovey benefits and they know God, but they don't actually really know God. Because to know God is to know both sides. Because remember what I taught you last week, you should never be afraid of discipline because discipline reveals that you're a true son. If you're not getting disciplined, you are illegitimate. But instead, God makes you too legit to quit. So this is fearful because there's no, could you imagine having no way out as messed up as we can be? Just ponder it for a minute. We literally treated the blood as common, insulted the spirit of grace, rejected. Now what happens? The sacrifice that I, there's no other way out. You are officially stuck. You may think that you're afraid, but you will be really afraid. Or you may think I got no fear. That's the thing with the horse. I had no fear. Listen, mark my words, mark my words. It's one thing to reject it and to not know it, but it's another thing to reject it once you've known it. Hence, there's no more rescuing in the midst of the rejection. We insult the Holy Spirit and slander the grace of God that wants to empower you and actually help you and lead you out of destructive, prideful lifestyles. And this is no way to live. All your sin needs to be covered under the blood. But here's the thing about the yoke. I taught you last week how the yoke come to me. My yoke is easy. So you got to get this yoke around your your neck so that Jesus and his strength can carry you along. But here's the thing about a yoke. It also restrains you from going astray and doing your things your own way. The yoke is a restrainer. The yoke literally, it's like, I grew up my generation. I think the nineties was that way for sure. I mean, they're all that way now, but it's like, do whatever you want. Question everything. No, I'm going to be free. I don't, religion's a straitjacket lifestyle. But what you need to understand is if God puts a straitjacket on you, that actually is real freedom because it sets you free from the greater straitjacket that's going to kill you. And my mindset's like, people are like, I need to be able to do whatever I want to do. You actually have the freedom to do whatever you want to do, but God says, don't do that. Right? So judgment starts here and now with us. God's people do not get excused from judgment, which is why we should judge ourselves now. 1 Peter 4, 17, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey? It won't be good. So judgment starts here. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one and 32, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So when God actually, when we judge ourselves and we get chastened by the Lord, we get free from the world's judgment. 
It means you can't kill me. I'm already a dead man. I've already checked myself. That's why if you tell on yourself, the devil has nothing to say. Forget the devil. God himself becomes your adversary. The devil pales in comparison to standing against the beauty and wonder of who God is and his wrath. So when we do those things, God actually brings vengeance against us and we should be afraid. It's a different kind of fear. Either with a proper fear that changes us to live differently and say, judge me with mercy now. See, this is the great thing is mercy triumphs over judgment. If you'll just check yourself before you wreck yourself, God will come in and bring mercy and it'll be way much better if you'll do it now. Now, especially if you're a teenager and young adult, you don't have to have lived as long as I've lived to realize this kind of truth. So the fear of God brings the ear of God and he comes close to heal. Judge yourselves by stepping into the light. Get into the light. Bring it to the light. And when you do, you get grace. You get the blood that heals. You get confidence instead of a fearful life. Always running, always hiding, never satisfied. And an end game that's not gonna be pretty when judgment comes. There's an end game and it's way, it's a real end game. Yes, the fear of God gets to hear God, but when we don't fear God, not only do we not hear God, but he doesn't hear us. You say, well, God doesn't hear us? Well, let me show you. It's the not so good side of an improper fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1, 28 through 33. Then they'll call on me and I won't answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they won't find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Notice that. They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and they despise my every rebuke. You know what a rebuke is? It's expressed sharp disapproval or criticism because of their behavior or actions. How many of you would like express sharp criticism and uh, correction because of your behavior and actions? If they're erroneous, I do. Because you know what the Bible says about that? Faithful are the wounds of a friend or the rebuke of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Look at this, Proverbs 27, 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. You want me to carefully? Here, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed because if I'm carefully concealing my love, then I maybe don't actually really love you. Okay, man, I'm out of time. But I'm going to finish this verse here and maybe the next one. They're going to eat the fruit. So what happens when you despise God's rebuke consistently and none of his counsel? This is so incredible because it says that these people are calling on God and diligently seeking him. When? In crisis. Now God takes crisis Christians because he loves you. You can keep crying out. But there's a point there or there can be a point. And I don't ever want this and I don't. I'm so positive and optimistic, I don't believe that that's going to happen to you. But the Bible says it can. And here's the thing. They sought me and diligently uh, cried out to me, but I didn't hear them. And you get the reasons why. And I'll just break it down. They hated knowledge. They didn't fear the Lord. They didn't actually want counsel, and they despised God's rebuke and correction. My question to you is, how do you handle rebuking? or being corrected? How do you handle it? 
we are in such a politically and religiously correct culture. You cannot be silent. And if it's done in perfect love, there has to be correct. If you love me and you respect me, correct me. If I'm off track, please, friends, please, for the kingdom of my family, if I ever got off track, help me. And do it with perfect love and be a parent. And then be okay if somebody does it to you. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I love this. <laughs> there's something about when a dad speaks, but there's something about when a mom speaks. Hear the instruction, my son, hear the instruction of your father, and you better not forsake the law of your mother. I may bring the instruction, but my wife lays the law down. There'll be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck, all right? When we consistently rebel, we eat the fruit of our own way and we become complacent. It's the last thing I'm gonna say before we close. Listen to this. When you consistently rebel, you eat the fruit of your own way and you become complacent. You know what complacency does? It kills you and leads to destruction. You cannot be complacent or passive in the kingdom. You cannot stand by and watch as worldly agendas infiltrate our public school system in the minds of our little children. You cannot passively sit by and not vote and stand up for people that will fight for life and stand up for truth. You can't or you're passive living in the DMZ zone. And listen, I only do it not because I want to, but because I have to. The fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord is to hate. And when you hate something, you stand against it. So when we, when we consistently rebel, we eat the fruit of our own way and become complacent. In turn, we get destroyed. But when we listen and obey, we dwell with safety and we have no fear of evil. Look at the last part of that scripture, verse 33. I want you to see this, Proverbs 1, 33. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will, will be secure without fear of evil. But when we reject, when we despise, and look, this is a very mercy culture-driven church. There's so much mercy here. There's so much grace. Why? Because God's had it on me. That's why it's hard for me to preach these types of messages. But I would not be a good pastor or father if I don't. And I love you. I don't want to see you destroyed. Stop destroying yourself. And if you get destroyed underneath my watch, it won't be because I didn't tell you so. Here's what we're gonna talk about next week, okay? And then I'm gonna pray for you. I already have my me next week's message. I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about how do you rescue people that have despised the truth and fallen away? How do you use both compassion and fear to save some? Jude 1.23, I think it is. How do we take a proper stand to fight accurately with the fear of the Lord and to rescue those who are in the place or headed towards? See, this is the thing about that scripture, snatching them out of the fiery indig indignation, pulling them out of the flames. <clears throat> you know, remember those old school steel slides at the park? There used to be one over there off in Jocelyn. They 
I think they took it away finally because it was like, if you didn't get sizzled like a frying egg on that thing, you would smash your head when you hit the bottom, right? That was the way we grew up. <laughs> Listen, for some people, compassion won't save them. Love and won't save them. And that's a hard thing. And it doesn't mean that we don't love them. You don't never, ever. The problem is, is we're so afraid of the old wineskin turn and burn hellfire and brimstone messages that we've reverted so far the other direction. And then we just don't ever talk about that. But if your heart's right and you're walking in perfect love, you must. And see, I wasn't saved with fear. I was saved with the Father's love. I've never been taken to hell. I've never had a vision. I've never been there in the spirit. I don't, I don't know. I, I've listened to some teachings. I've read the Bible. I know what I believe and I know what we should believe. We're not universalists here. There's a consequence. And the ultimate consequence for rejection is not pretty. So let's keep people from there. We have to take a stand. We have to. Okay? If, you, if you're repentant and you, you feel admonished by the Lord or you feel a conviction, you don't know, you feel convicted and it causes you to run to God, that's the grace of God that saved you. are saved by grace. It's God empowering you to know Him. But when we stay obstinate and reject Him, it's not going to be pretty. So my advice to everyone here is don't reject God. Don't fall into apostasy. Don't give up. If you are a believer and you've come into the knowledge of the truth, then always run to the cross and net you never have to live in a fearful expectation of judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because there's a side of him that you don't want, you don't want to have to deal with. Okay? So I love you. To fear God is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. With, fear, with the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 22, 4, come riches, honor, and wealth. And I don't know how much that means. You can be rich and not have much. Rich isn't defined how big your bank account is because there's people that have a huge bank account and are so hurting and broken. Money and the things of this world will never save you. Thank God we can talk about that now before it's too late. All right, let's all stand. Okay, just take, close your eyes for a moment and pray for you guys. Teach us, Lord, the fear of the Lord. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Let's say that. Teach me the fear of the Lord and what it means to hate evil. Forgive me for being prideful. Forgive me for being passive forgive my own evil ways. Have mercy. We cry out for mercy, God. Have mercy upon me, Lord. I'm sorry for being stubborn. I'm sorry if I've despised your counsel. I'm sorry if I've rejected your rebuke. I will heed. I will heed, Lord.
Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the blood. Live at the cross, beloved. We're sorry, Lord, if we've treated any, if we've treated your blood as common, if we've insulted the spirit of grace, forgive us, Lord. I pray forgiveness over everyone here. Receive it. The blood removes your accusers. Go and sin no more. And I thank you, God, for being with this house. I bless you all mightily. You are a mighty warrior tribe. You're a mighty warrior remnant tribe. Be bold, be confident, walk in perfect love and hate evil. Fear the Lord all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.